Friends, we invite you to find your Bible now and join us by turning to the gospel according to John, the ninth chapter, beginning in the first verse. As he walked along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents have sinned. He was born blind so that God's work might be revealed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said this, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva and spread the mud on the man's eyes, saying to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. Then he went and washed and came back able to see. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar began to ask, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some were saying, It is he. Others were saying, No, but it is one like him. He kept saying, I am the man. But they kept asking him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered. The man called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. Then I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I don't know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also began to ask him how he received his sight. He said to them, He put mud on my eyes, then I washed, now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not observe the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And they were divided. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him? It was your eyes he opened. He said, He's a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called his parents of the man who had received his sight. And they asked him, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he see now? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and he was born blind. But we do not know how it is that he sees, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He's of age. He'll speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that anyone who confessed Jesus to be the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age. Ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and they said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, I don't know whether he's a sinner. One thing I do know is that I was blind and now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have already told you multiple times and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear this again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Then they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. 
We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we don't know where he comes from. The man answered, Well, here's an astonishing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but he does listen to one who worships him and obeys his will. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born entirely in sins and are trying to teach us? And they drove him out. Now, Jesus heard that they had driven him out. And when he found them, he said, do you believe in the son of man? He answered, and who is he, sir? Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and the one speaking with you is he. He said, Well, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. And Jesus said, I came into the world for judgment so that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard this and said to him, Surely we are not blind, are we? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have sinned. But now you say, we see. Your sin remains. Receive what the Spirit is saying. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Loving and gracious God, it's difficult to know how to feel in these days. And we give you thanks that we are able to gather in this space, grounded in your living word that challenges us, inspires us, and reminds us of what matters. In these next moments, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of hearts gathered in around so many places, may all that we offer in this time be acceptable to you, O God, for you are our strength, the wellspring of our hope. You are our salvation. Amen. Did God make this happen? Is God doing this to us to teach us a lesson or to punish us? These kinds of questions often emerge in moments of disaster, tragedy, or plague. Sometimes, the plague is proclaimed as God's judgment against a particular group by someone making that proclamation with nothing but their own hateful prejudice to back it up. Other times, the questions are whispered in the corners of human hearts, uncertain and perhaps embarrassed to even acknowledge that the question has arisen. Is God punishing me? I've heard variations on these themes floating around over the past couple of weeks. You know, it's not a new idea. This theology shows up in various strains within the books of our own Old Testament. 
and variations of the theme occur across cultures and religions through the ages. That theme includes ideas like these. If something bad happens, it is punishment for some sin. Sinners get punished by a vengeful God. Sin is connected to anyone who is outside of whatever norm has been socially constructed. It is punishment to be created differently from the norm. God made things this way and God works this way. This kind of, I'm just going to say it, perverse thinking is one of those places that many people get stuck. One of the places folk may wonder, how in the world would anyone believe that? Wondering why in the world Christians would say that God is a God of love if God punishes people by sending some disaster. Or if God values some bodies that God has created over other bodies that God has created. Or if God makes bad things happen to good people in order to make a point. Those are good questions. I wish I could say that all the biblical examples that might support such ideas are attributed to God only before Jesus comes on the scene. But we have this text from John today that not only uses a person born with a body outside the norm as an object lesson to be fixed, without ever, by the way, being given any agency in the matter other than getting to go wash mud and spit off his face. But it's also a text that seems to reinforce what I have said is bad theology. The disciples ask the question that would be typical in their time, place, and culture. Was it the parents who sinned? Or was it the man who sinned? which caused the man to be born blind. Jesus comes through like a champ, initially, saying, it's neither. It sounds very promising. But then we hear this. He was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. Really? Here's where a shallow reading of the text can get us into some serious trouble. The Gospel of John was the last of the four Gospel accounts to be written, composed for a very particular late first century Christian community who were themselves in the midst of a painful separation and persecution from leaders of the Jewish community of which they were a part. The gospel is rooted in that historical context. But it's widely understood that the book of John is written much more as theological than historical literature. 
That is to say, the images and the stories in John are deeply symbolic, always holding subtle layers of meaning. In the opening lines of the book of John, we're given the overarching symbolic frame for John's version of the Jesus story. You may remember this. Jesus is the word of God. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Jesus is the light of the world, we're told. The light that shines in the darkness. The darkness never overcoming it. We're told in the opening verses of the gospel according to John that Jesus, the light of the world, came to the world, came to his own, and they did not perceive him. They did not recognize him. In addition to this context, this framing for the whole story that John tells of Jesus, it's helpful for the interpretation of today's story to understand that in the cultural idiom of biblical texts, the I is the lamp of the body. The eyes of the heart or the mind can be opened or enlightened. It's the way people thought about that image of the eyes, symbolically. So we can still have feelings and we can critique the story as it comes to us in translation. And frankly, it's important to do that in order to counter years of harmful biblical interpretation. But understood within its literary, theological, and cultural context, it's clear that the writer of John wants to convey not that God punishes, devalues, dehumanizes, manipulates, or uses people. The writer is saying something about the power of God to bring light out of darkness to open minds and hearts, to help people perceive in a new way. And that Jesus, the light of the world, is the one who facilitates and embodies this power. The conflict throughout the story we heard today is found in the struggle to perceive what God is doing, to perceive in a new way, to allow God's light to illuminate understanding and perspective in ways that help move folk forward, free of the things that have gotten in the way of a deeper faith and hope, a deeper love. Some of you may have seen, if you're old enough, or if you have folks that know good movies and help you know to watch them, you may have seen the 2004 film called Finding Neverland. The movie is about author James Barry and the widow and her four young sons who were his inspiration for writing the story of Peter Pan. 
Early in the film, Mr. Barry is playfully and imaginatively describing to the boys how he's going to, out there in the park, perform a daring and frightening thing. He, the circus ringmaster, is going to dance with a magnificent bear who has large, scary teeth. The stand-in for the bear in the park happens to be the author's dog. And one of the sons, one of the children, Peter, is having none of this and says, that's silly, that's just a dog. To which Mr. Barry comes close to the young skeptical boy and says, with eyes like that, you'll never see. In our gospel text today, we hear the same thing. With eyes like that, you'll never see. When, when the man who was formerly blind is brought to the leaders of the religious establishment, the response is stunning. There is no rejoicing or awe or wonder that this amazing thing has taken place. Instead, the leadership puts their focus on a church rule that's gotten broken. The healing got done on the Sabbath. Another response is to discount the man's own experience as if they knew his story better than he did. They accuse him of lying. You must not have once been blind. Finally, it becomes clear that the focus of the proceedings, which are long and drawn out, that the focus is to figure out who's a sinner. And the ultimate verdict is that both the man and Jesus are sinners. The result? The man whose life has been changed, whose darkness has been turned to light, who perceives the whole world in a new way, who stands as a testimony to the power of God to bring light into darkness, that one is driven out of the community. He's put out. It seems ludicrous, really, when we stop and look at what happens in this story. And it's tempting to think that we would never react as the Pharisees do. But if we're honest, perhaps we will admit how difficult it is to even acknowledge, much less address, things that dwell in the shadows of our soul that might easily lead us to line up with the likes of the Pharisees. We all have proverbial blind spots, places of ignorance, of prejudice, of confusion, judgmental attitudes, rigidity, and fear. Those things that keep us from fully perceiving, much less appreciating, the new things that God may be doing right in front of us. This story in John offers the promising news that when we encounter 
Jesus, when we encounter the light of the world, that light can cut through our darkness. Whatever those shadows might be, whatever is there, and give us eyes to see. And to see not just what we want to see, because guess what, we already do that, but to give us the eyes to see things as they really are, eyes to see the truth. As with the Pharisees, we, we may not want this, at least not at first. We know, don't we, that the truth will set us free, but first it will likely make us miserable. <laughs> Perceiving the way things are can make us depressed and overwhelmed. Waking up to realities that had once been buried in denial can be disorienting. As priest and theologian Rowan Williams says, when Jesus' light cuts through our darkness, it is, quote, not a comfortable clearing up of problems and smoothing out of our difficulties and upsets. On the contrary, it brings on a kind of vertigo. It may make me a stranger to myself, to everything I've ever taken for granted. In short, when God's light breaks on my darkness, the first thing I know is that I don't know and never did. The Pharisees struggled to let go of what they thought they knew of what they took for granted. The church rules, the cultural norms, their cozy power and prejudice. The way things have always been. That was hard to let go of. And in that struggle, they remained in darkness, unable to see the beautiful truth of what had happened right in front of them and what was offered to them if only they would receive it. This happens in our lives. Our own preconceived notions and expectations and desires can keep us from seeing what is being offered, what is happening, or what is possible. Because someone doesn't do things the way I think they should be done, I might grumble about the means and miss the beautiful end. Because we don't like the person involved, we may miss seeing the good that they are accomplishing. Because our comfort is disrupted and our irritation flares, we may miss seeing the opportunity to learn something new. Because we are so habituated to seeing things one way, we may miss amazing new visions that God presents to us in any given moment. Last week, our spiritual path led us in the wilderness to a well. And today, in the midst of this moment, when vertigo may be an apt description of our experience, when we are all ever more aware that everything about our everyday life is upended, when we feel off balance 
and like the world is spinning off its axis when we don't know the timetable or how the pandemic will play out. When we begin to have an inkling that things will never ever be the same. When we are living on the razor edge in so many ways. When the days outside are generally lighter but so much of the world seems veiled in darkness. On this day, our spiritual path leads us to an encounter with light that shines in the darkness. The paradox is that the light of Christ will shatter all the prideful and fearful darkness in order to bring us to a deeper darkness, a place of being off balance, a place of humble acknowledgement that we are not God, that our way of seeing is not God's way of seeing, that we don't know everything and can't control everything, that God is at, at work for good in the world even when all seems lost. We can't control God. We want to tell God what to do right now. Maybe. We're not God. But the promise is that God is at work for good in the world, that the light shines in the darkness, and that the darkness won't overcome it. This, if we can perceive it, is to perceive the truth, to see things and ourselves more realistically. And it may be painful sometimes and frustrating sometimes, but with God at the center of things, light will always be shining, always. The darkness will not overcome it. All we need is for Christ to give us the eyes to see. And with these new humbled eyes, we're able to look at our lives, at the lives of others, at the state of our world differently. So that in the face of fear, we can look with the eyes of trust. In the face of prejudice or judgment, we can look with the eyes of mercy and compassion. In the face of change, we can look with the eyes of hope. In the face of confusion, we can look with the eyes of wonder. In the face of suffering, we look with the eyes of solidarity and tenderness. In the face of a seemingly impossible mess, we can look with the eyes of creativity. And in the face of even this present moment, we can look with the eyes of life-giving beauty and love. With eyes like that, just imagine what you might see. <laughs> 